Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... God! 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 To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. Swan Lane drive left hand! Water on his end! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Appreciate you finding us. Well, we are in mid-June, heading to the 4th of July weekend, coming up here in just a couple of weeks. Got a full plethora of stuff for you here on the podcast this week. We're going to break down the NHL Stanley Cup Final with J.P. Peterson Colorado in Tampa Bay. Tampa is going for their third straight Stanley Cup. An official dynasty is in the making here in Tampa Bay with the Lightning. We're going to give you a full breakdown of, of all the matchups and all how the, how the Lightning got here and all that good stuff as we head to the finals of the NHL. We're also going to talk to Vince Ferrara, 99.1 radio host in Knoxville, Tennessee. He, we are going to talk all things College World Series. We're going to talk the huge upset that occurred in Knoxville over the weekend at the Reed Super Regional with the number one rated Tennessee Volunteers going down in the Super Regional to Notre Dame. The colossal upset that that was, Tennessee was the consensus number one team in the country by far, and they don't even make it out of their own Super Regional to make it to Omaha. So we're going to talk to Vince Farrar about all things college baseball. We're going to get a little SEC update as well from Vince. Uh, lots of news and notes we're going to hit on before we get to J.P. Peterson of the J.P. Peterson Show. You can find him on FanStream uh, here in the Tampa Bay market and as well as uh, anywhere around the country as part of the FanStream sports app. But before we get to J.P. and Vince, I want to hit on a couple of things. We have the U.S. Open golf tournament this weekend we have the nba finals coming to a conclusion a great series so far 3-2 golden state heading to boston for a game six on thursday night we have the live golf tour controversy the fallout and the world cup field has been set let's hit the world cup first there were two spots still remaining after the world cup draw from a month or so back there were two spots still available. That There were a couple of qualifying playoffs that had to occur. Wales advances to the World Cup about a week or so back. They beat the Ukraine. The feel-good story of the World Cup would have been the Ukraine making the World Cup. They lose to Wales. A Gareth Bale goal. Many of you who follow soccer know Gareth Bale. He is the uh, most famous Welch player uh, that we all know. Hit a free kick. Winner. 1-0 winner for Wales as they advance to the World Cup. They will be in the same group as the United States. Remember, the World Cup is, will not be in the summertime like it normally is. The World Cup this year will be in mid-November in Qatar on the other side of the world. So Wales qualifies with one of the two qualifying spots in the United States group. And in the other qualifying spot, Australia 
beats Peru in penalty kicks on Monday of this week. They advance to the World Cup as well. They will be in the group with France. So the 32-team World Cup field is set. Remember, they're going to play eight groups of four. Uh, the top, the top, uh, auto, the top winner of each group automatically advances. I'm sorry, the top two automatically advance. So uh, lots of World Cup stuff. You'll be hearing a lot of World Cup stuff coming up here in the coming months as we approach, especially here in the United States. There's a big UEFA Nations League tournament going on right now where a lot of the World Cup uh, players are playing kind of a warm-up preliminary summer tour type deal before their league seasons kick off again in August around the world. But you will see a major month-long break in early November for the World Cup. So very exciting if you're a soccer fan coming up. The only bad thing is the World Cup will be competing up against college football in the NFL season in November. Normally it's in the summertime where it has kind of the most of the sports calendar, calendar, especially here in the United States, to itself. But will be a very exciting time period in and around Thanksgiving for the World Cup here as we get going. So uh, those two spots are filled now. Our full field is, uh, is, is complete. U.S. Open Golf Tournament this weekend in at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. The, all the controversy surrounding this U.S. Open is not around the U.S. Open. It's about the Live Golf Tour opening event that kicked off last weekend in London. Obviously, you have the defectors, several big-name defectors, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson, DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, the first winner was Charles Schwartzel of the first uh, tournament in London. Uh, he won about $4.75 million for a 54-hole event. You know, all the fallout from that. Mickelson had a very rough press conference at the U.S. Open on Monday. Strong press conferences on, later in the week by Rory McIlroy, uh, by Brooks Kepka, and many others. But again, the fallout from the Live Golf Tour has begun. The question is, what will the, how will this tour, will this tour be able to draw any more big names, especially guys that are in the top ten in the world from the PGA Tour? Uh, those guys that have gone to the Live Tour have been suspended by the PGA Tour and Com Commissioner Jay Monahan last week. Um, you know, again, DeChambeau, Mickelson, Patrick Reed. The question you have to ask yourself. At what point, at what price, and where does the money come from? How does that affect these guys' decision-making? And should we as the fans penalize these guys for taking the money, especially money that's kind of perceived to be from bad guys and a bad government in Saudi Arabia? You have a lot of athletes around the world that take money from different entities, China, Saudi Arabia. I, you know, A lot of these government entities that host these tournaments whether it's golf, whether it's basketball stuff that happens in China. At what point, if you're a fan or if you're a player, especially when you're getting these kind of offers, do you seriously consider it? One thing to remember, I know everybody's killing these guys for taking such a huge chunk of money. Mickelson, you know, reportedly going to get somewhere between $150 and $200 million. Dustin Johnson, over $100 million. I'm sure the, the, the Patrick Reeds, the DeChambeaus, the Sergio Garcias are getting huge uh, appearance fees for joining this tour. The question you have to ask yourself, 
Is it okay for Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas, excuse me, is it okay for guys like Jack Nicholson and others to build golf courses in these countries, get paid by these governments to build golf courses? Jack Nicholas has built golf courses in Saudi Arabia. Is it okay for guys like LeBron James in the NBA to, to make TV deals, to make deals with China? At what point is it okay for those guys to do that stuff without such grief? And yet Mickelson, DeChambeau, and they, these guys collect life-changing, generational-changing money from the Saudi Arabian uh, you know, uh, investment fund to play eight or ten events a year. I get it. It's not the ideal situation for these guys, but it's, you know, if you as a consumer, if you in your profession, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'll pay you $100 million or $50 million or $20 million or $10 million, and all you have to do is half the workload of what you're used to doing, you're getting paid whether you win or not, which is a big part of this. Every player on the Live Tour is guaranteed at least 120000 every tournament, whether you come in last. If you win the tournament, you're gonna make two and a half, probably three times what you would make if you won a PGA Tour event. Um, you know, Schwartzel made $4.75 million by winning an event. Most of these guys that win a week-to-week -week event on the PGA Tour probably make a million to a million and a half dollars uh, to win an event. But, you know, the, the, the argument is, do you shy away from the competition of the PGA Tour, the legacy, the traditions of the PGA Tour for the quick buck to make the quick guaranteed money? Many of these guys on the Live Tour who, again, the player from player 10 to player 48 are guys we probably don't know very much about. These guys are getting guaranteed money. There's no guarantee those guys would make a great living on the PGA Tour. They'd be middling players on the Tour. They'd be guys that potentially could lose their card. They'd be the guys that potentially could be, uh, you know, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Great example, Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka's brother, not on the PGA Tour, made over $350,000 last weekend by playing on the Live Tour. He would not make that kind of money on the PGA Tour as a player. You know, he's not good enough. He doesn't have his PGA Tour card, all that stuff. The big question is, at what price is it worth it to take the Saudi Arabian money? At what price is it worth it to take the Saudi Arabian money to construct a golf course? At what price is it to take the Chinese money for basketball? You name the, the, the scenario, what's, what's the price? Is there a price? For some people, there is no price to take money from a government that's done a lot of bad things to a lot of, to a lot of people. Tough, tough argument, because you can make a lot of arguments about a lot of ventures that involve money that involve people that do bad things. Say what you want. The United States government, we do some bad things over, over uh, occasionally. That's the dilemma for these guys. And how much fallout are they willing to take, especially a guy like Mickelson and Dustin Johnson, where they've been on the tour for 25 and 30 years. Mickelson's been 30 years. He's probably the second most popular guy on the tour in the last 30 years to Tiger Woods. You know, there's been reports of his gambling uh, addiction and losses. Is it strictly a money grab for Mickelson? And can you justify that? A lot of tough questions being asked to these guys uh, over the course of time. So we'll see how the Live Tour uh, pans out over the summer months and coming up in the next couple of months. 
We'll see if there's any definitive uh, stances taken by the major championships, especially the Masters. We will it'd be very interesting to see what Fred Ridley and the Masters people come out to say related to the live golf players. Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, winner, winner. Sergio Garcia's won that tournament. Charles Schwartzel's won that tournament. We will definitely, Patrick Reed's won that tournament. With that tournament comes a lifetime opportunity to play the Masters. Will the Masters say they can't play? Will they uninvite them? Will they change their rules? That will be very interesting to see how that stuff unfolds here in the coming months. So, U.S. Open this week. Again, historic golf course at the Country Club in Brookline. Be interesting to see Rory McIlroy coming in hot as, hot as a firecracker. I think he's my favorite this week. I know he just won the Canadian Open. I'm going I'm going Rory McIlroy. And by the way, I predicted Justin Thomas to win the, the PGA back in Southern Hills back just a month or so back. So there's your golf update. NBA Finals, 3-2 Golden State going back to Boston. Can Boston force a Game 7 on Father's Day night, Sunday night? We will see. Interesting thing about Game 5 is the role players for Golden State. Thompson. Gary Payton II, Jordan Poole, big contributions. Andrew Wiggins has been the unsung hero for the Golden State Warriors these last three games. He's played tremendously well. 26 big points in Game 5, played very well in Game 4 in the game they won in Boston. If Wiggins continues to play well, you have to know that Golden or that uh, Steph Curry will get back on track. Klay Thompson is playing better and better. He's got a nickname, Game 6 Clay, where he typically plays his best. I think the Warriors find a way to get it done. It may take seven games, but I do think the Warriors will win this series and win their fourth championship. All the controversy and all the all the uh, Draymond Green stuff, he did not play well early in the series, has played a little bit better in the last couple of games. I do not think Draymond Green is a Hall of Famer. I know he's been on a great team. But to me, he's not a Hall of Fame player. If he is, then you have to put Robert Ory in the Hall of Fame. Do you put Steve Kerr in the Hall of Fame? You don't. You just like you don't put Robert Ory in the Hall of Fame. Draymond Green is a Luke is a essential part of that cog of that unit, but he's not a Hall of Fame player. I'm sorry. Really good player, not a Hall of Fame player. Last thing before we get to JP Peterson on the Lightning and the Stanley Cup Finals, I want to give a shout out. To my kid that I've known since he's probably 10 years old, Sonny DeShera. If you're watching the College World Series, Sonny is the first baseman at Auburn. He's the num- he's the cleanup hitter for Auburn. Tremendous player at first base. Known this kid since he was 10 years old up in Birmingham, Alabama. So again, I want to give a shout out to Sonny DeShera. They went up to Oregon State and upset the Beavers. They are headed to Omaha this weekend to start their World Series journey. Again, this kid is a co-SEC Player of the Year. He is he led the country in on-base percentage. I believe he reached base in 56 out of 57 regular season games. He is the best player on Auburn's offense. So if you're watching College World Series, first baseman for Auburn, he's a folk hero on that campus at Auburn. Sonny DeShera, give a shout out to Sonny as he heads to Omaha for his World Series debut. Hard worker, done a great job, good kid, comes from a good family. So shout out to Sonny DeShera, Auburn, heading to the College World Series. 
Up next, J.P. Peterson of the J.P. Peterson Show. We're going to break down, again, NHL Stanley Cup Finals. We're going to talk a little Florida State baseball and much more. J.P. Peterson followed by Vince Ferrara, 99.1 The Sports Animal. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. We have hit the Stanley Cup Finals here in the NHL and down here in Champa Bay, we are going for the three-peat. Lightning Avalanche is your Stanley Cup final. And no better person to talk to all things Lightning Avs. We're going to talk a little Bucks. We're going to talk a little FSU. Might even talk a little Live Golf Tour as well. One J.P. Peterson, host of the J.P. Peterson Show, Monday through Fridays, 10 to 12 on the live stream, or I'm sorry, the fan stream app, YouTube, Facebook, all that stuff. So welcome back, J.P. Jason, how you doing, buddy? Good to be back with you. I also forgot to mention, John is also the host of all the in-game in action. He's the host of Lightning Hockey Night Live inside Amelie Arena. So he has been That's there. That's right. Home game. That's right. First off, give the audience a little perspective. If they weren't in the building the other night, uh, game six, Rangers, Lightning, just the atmosphere of in the building and inside and in around Thunder Alley. Man, I tell you what, um, it was amazing. And, I, you know, I've always wondered what it's like to be like, you know, a rock star on stage and have 20,000 people like hanging on your every note and every word. Well, I can't really hear the crowd in my studio, but I heard the crowd the other night and I was, I was firing them up right before the game. They were getting loud. And I was like, damn, this is really cool. And you just knew that the crowd was going to be into it. And they were. I, um, you know, I think the lightning fed off the crowd and it was just a, a, a great atmosphere. I've been a, you know, I've been covering a lot of these major sports for a long time. And I've always been, you know, a guy that thought a big college football matchup is as good as it gets, you know, a Florida, Florida state game back in the nineties yep. or a Florida, Florida state game, and, you know, a night game is just as good as it gets. But I, I think playoff hockey in Emily arena is about as good as it gets for a spectator sport. It's just phenomenal. And pe people around the country kind of think Tampa's not a hockey city and all that because of the sunshine, but it's so about Mike Wilbon. Huh? You're talking about Mike Wilbon, Mr. SEC yes. hockey team? I mean, what a dork. I know. Um, I mean, I, we are definitely like, top five in the league as far as atmosphere in a, in a big game setting inside of Amelie Arena. That had to be one of the most ignorant comments that has ever come out of his mouth, and that's saying something. Um, I mean, it was just – Think about what this franchise has done and what they are currently doing. It's it's beyond compare, really. In the past 50 years, I think there's only three other uh, teams in in uh, in sports that have done what the Lightning have done in terms of going to three straight finals, possibly winning three straight championships in a row. In the salary cap eras, it's almost impossible to do. And what they've been able to do consistently, six conference finals yep. in the past eight years, that's unheard of. I mean, there are so many things that this Lightning team is doing. They have the, the best winning percentage in NHL playoff history on the road and overall. Um, I could go on and on with the list of accomplishments that nobody else in hockey or, uh, or in sports has done for the last 50 years. It's, it's incredible. And the, an unbelievable thing about it is this core is going to be together for another, you know, four or five years. And Vasilevsky's not going anywhere, I could tell you that. He's 27. And he's already, you know, I mean, you see the numbers on his last eight clinch series clinchers. Two goals. 219 saves out of 221 shots. Two goals. That's a 991 
save percentage. That's ridiculous. And a 0.25 goals against. I mean, you if you put the Lightning up against an AHL team for eight games, I don't think they could achieve those numbers. And we're talking about in game clinching situations where the other team is at their most desperate. And yeah. these are the best teams in hockey. Yeah. I mean, those numbers are off the freaking charts. And this team just continues to, to just persevere. And the way the template that they've come up with to win playoff hockey games is something that I don't think anybody's come up with in this league. And the way this team executes it with their talent, their dedication, their sheer will, their courage is really incomparable. In and, 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 and we're going to talk a little bit about the styles of play because the Lightning can win anyway. They can win up and down. They can grit it out and grind it out. So that's the that's the beauty, I think, of this team is they can kind of play whatever way you want to play. And for whatever reason, the defense in the playoffs really locks it down. I mean, it's not all Vasilevsky. He's a big part of it. But the guys play the, the guys play so much more disciplined, so much yeah. more under control and, and with their skill. It's just incredible to watch. And because, you know, you watch a regular season game in the middle of February, they might lose seven to three. It's just one it's, of those situations. But the focus and the and the coaching, I think Cooper's a huge part of that. The way he just is a calming force. He doesn't get yeah. too high, doesn't get too low. I think it's a real uh, credit to him and his coaching staff. Yeah. And their versatility, um, it, it, it's kind of personified in, in the way that they've won each 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 round here in Toronto, it was a bit of a, more of a high scoring series, but when they needed to win in game six and seven, they locked it down. You know what they did to the Panthers, the highest scoring team since 1996 in the hockey's to sweep them out and hold them to three goals in four games. Again, that's just crazy. But I think, you know, they can go up and down if they have to, but I think they've come up with this template now in, in the playoffs where they take away the best line. Yeah with uh, Sorelli and Kalorn have been doing it. It was the third line last year that kind of did that. And now Cooper's got these teams matched up. And now they got Braden Point coming back, who's right. the best two-way two forward. And that's going to make them markedly better as a team. And they're already, you know, good enough to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. So, you know, again, uh, I, and I love the way this, this is setting up against the Avs. The Avs have been off for nine days. Yep. You saw what that did to the Lightning the first two games against the Rangers. Um, I think it's going to be a factor in the first two games. The Lightning can steal one. Obviously, that's that's what you came there for. If they can get two, well, then you know, Look just out. remarkable. And and I think that, and they have four nights off to rest themselves after coming off a series. So I don't think they get rusty in that right. time frame. So I think it all sets up really, really well. I asked, uh, talked to Bradley, Brian Bradley, today on my show about you know the altitude, and he said it's definitely a factor, no question. But they have lots of oxygen. On the uh, on the bench, they'll probably take shorter shifts, but it will definitely have a, a, an effect on them. So I think it's setting up really well for them. Talk about Braden Point for those of you that don't know the Lightning inside and out like we do. Braden Point, the last two years in the playoffs, their leading scorer. Yeah, I mean, I mean more than Kucherov, more than Stamkos. He this guy led the league both playoff runs in scoring. He's been out since the what the Florida series. Early uh, in that Toronto, Florida. yeah, yeah, Toronto series. Last game of the Toronto series, the beginning right. of the Florida series. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Listen, it not only was he their leading scorer, but clutch score. You know, overtime goals, late goals, yep. and not only that, he was also playing terrific defense. He's taken away guy. one of the best players on the other side. So you're getting, you know, again, you're getting one of the top five players in the league to, uh, you know, two hundred foot players, and that's, I mean, especially in the playoffs, that's yeah. just so valuable. And I mean, basically. Just think about it. You're taking out Riley Nash, 
and putting in Braden Point. That's it. <laughs> no offense to Mr. Nash, but that's a huge freaking upgrade. So, yeah, I expect him. We're still not sure if he plays game one. I think he's going to play game one. Today, he was taking uh, line rushes, I think, with the third line with uh, Nick Paul and Hagel. So he may, I mean, imagine Braden Point being your third center. Right. <laughs> you know, on your third line. So, yeah, I think uh, you're going to see the, the Lightning get immeasurably better. And that's what else what is, people don't realize is you plug him in, whether it's a second or third line, it right. pushes that one more guy down to even a more depth. You create more depth with the third and the fourth line, who Great Maroon point. and those guys have been effective at times, have scored some big goals. It just makes the depth of the roster that much more. And not that Nash isn't a good player, but you said the huge upgrade with, with Brady yeah. Point is going to be. And if things aren't going great, Cooper then has the flexibility to move the lines around a little bit better if you need to do that at some point during the series. Absolutely. It just gives him another tool in the toolbox. And, you know, and, and the fact that this team has played so well together, I'm, I'm a little shocked that Vegas has them as the underdog. Um, but, uh, you know, that's Vegas. They know they, they want the public money to come in on the abs. Yeah. So they're going to make the lightning, the underdogs and, um, you know, because the, the public likes to bet the favorites. I just, you know, and I think there's a there's a feeling around here that the abs are just that much better than the lightning. I don't see it. Um, you know, the, we playoffs is so much about goaltending, and Darcy Kemper's been in and out, yeah. he's got an eye injury. You know, they gave up what six, six, five, two, uh, in the four Edmonton. games against yeah. Edmonton. I mean, that's a lot of goals to give up. Right. The lightning are. You know, Lightning are giving up five, six, seven goals in a game. They're just not going to do it. Bassie's locked in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really like the Lightning in six again. Too. I called the Lightning in six against the Rangers. It looked bleak early, but uh, they came back and made me, uh, made me right. The Lightning are trying to be the first team in all of professional sports to win three in a row since the Lakers in the early right. 2000s. So 20 years hasn't a franchise in any of the big professional sports won three in a row. You think that's going to be any additional pressure on the Lightning? You think they're just so locked in right now, it's not going to matter? Well, that's – honestly, that's the motivating force. I mean, these guys talked about this early on in the season, and Cooper talked to them as well and challenged them. He said, you guys, you win one cup, it's amazing. You win two cups, you're special. Yep. You win three cups, you're historic. Legendary. You are truly historic. And I think this is already a dynasty. I, I think they've already qualified for that, making three finals in a row and – what four finals in the past seven years, uh, six years, uh, six Eastern Conference finals in eight years. That right there is right. a dynasty. I don't care what anybody says. They've already achieved that in my mind. But win three in a row, they know how special that is. It's super, super special across all of sports, like you said. And that's been their motivating force. I mean, how do you find, you know, motivation? How do you stay hungry? Do you want to be, do you want to be great? Do you want to be incredible back to back? Or do you want to be historic? Right. And that's what they're chasing. And they, they're playing like it. They're they playing are. like they're chasing. They want to be known as one of the greatest. And I think if they win three in a row yes. and it's salary cap era, I think that you put them in with the Islanders and the Canadians. Those are the two teams that they most mirror in terms of consecutive playoff wins. So I think you, they're in the conversation for the greatest team of all time. And I that's, <laughs> that's, I that's, that's when you're talking about goat status, that this is what they're chasing and they know it. And the funny thing is, people don't realize this, three years ago, if they don't beat Columbus in the first round three years ago, Cooper's probably fired. The way they oh. had the, the misery they had the year before when they got swept, they won a five-overtime game in that first game against Columbus. 
That yeah. might have been the catalyst to this this entire run. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they would have beat Columbus that year anyway, but you don't want to play with fire and give them uh, right. more uh, more gas. And anytime you lose a three overtime, five yeah. overtime game in a playoff series, it's hard to come back from that. You're so right. yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and it just seems to be when they've been when their backs are against the wall is when they play their best hockey. It's amazing. All right, let's get to the Avalanche a little bit. You got the Avalanche speed. They are high flyers. McCarr, McKinnon, they got Lekkanen. They got a lot of speed, both forwards and the defensemen, versus kind of, to me, the grit of the Lightning. I don't think the, the Lightning are as fast as they are, as skilled, but maybe not the foot speed. What do you think a key, couple keys in this series are as far as keeping McKinnon and McCarr under, under control a little bit? Staying, off, staying out of the penalty box? Yeah, yeah, that's important. And you saw they did a great job of that in the past uh, three three games against the Rangers. Uh, so they, you know, they 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 know how to play disciplined hockey. But I just, you know, I, I go back to Toronto was a better offensive team than than the Abs. Yeah. Um, Florida was a better offensive team than the Abs. The Abs are a better defensive team than those. I think they're a better overall team. But when you look at just the numbers, I think the East was so much better than the West this year. I think there's a, a marked, and you look at, you know, Colorado, and it's not to disparage them, but they played against, you know, Mike Smith, yeah. Yeah. you know, a backup goalie, very much like the Rangers. They, they're, they're winning with their offense yeah. and playing against some bad defensive teams. That's St. Louis had a backup so goalie. St. Louis had a backup goalie. Right, right. So, I mean, this is kind of the same thing the Rangers did. They, they were living on Shesterkin and playing against backup goalies. Now here come the lightning with the best goalie in the game and it's going to frustrate the ads. It's going to frustrate them a lot. They're not going to be able to score nine goals a game. Yep. Uh, they'll be lucky to get two a game. Yep. And I think it's going to frustrate them a lot. I don't care how fast they are. They're no faster than the Panthers. They're no faster than Toronto. The lightning know how to lock these teams down. No, you're right. No, great point. So I think again, I think you made a great point. I think the game one and game two is a get very gettable game for the Lightning with the long break that the Avalanche have been eight, eight or nine days off. That's the game to get them. The, the, the Lightning have had three or four days. Like you said, not a rust yeah. issue. Again, you worry about the altitude, that first game with the altitude, but I think after a period, they'll get they'll get their legs under them. So you like the Lightning in six. I do too. Lightning there six. hopefully to hoist up number three up in the in the building. <laughs> how tell, tell me on how cool. How cool is it to be in that building when they hoisted that trophy? Uh, last year was amazing. It was so fun. And then, the, you know, the after party was incredible. We had an after party with all the employees. Uh, yeah. Jeffrey Vanek brought out all, all the food and open bar, big <laughs> tubs of beer for everybody. And then and that was the employee party. And after the, the players got kind of done with their party, uh, Cooper and a bunch of the players uh, went up to the employee party where we were. And, you know, everybody drank out of the cup and took pictures Sweet. with the cup. It was, I mean, we went to like six o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, so, I mean. That's a normal Tuesday night for JP. That's a Tuesday yeah, night yeah, for JP. Right. And then, of course, we had the boat parade and uh, <laughs> dancing in the rain. That's just, right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all down for all that. It would, I hear put, you. It put me down for a whole, a whole uh, another heap of that. Just good stuff. I hear it. Great analysis. All right, listen to the Power Zone Sports Podcast with J.P. Peterson, host of the J.P. Peterson Show, Monday through Friday, 10 to 12 on FanStream Sports. Let's transition to the Buccaneers. I want to ask you a Bucs question. Minicamp just wrapped up for the Bucs. Most of the minicamps in the NFL are happening last week and this week. 
What is the one thing that you that you think Todd Bowles' demeanor is going to be different than Bruce Arians? Just kind of the you think everything's going to be the same, or how do you think the 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 structure of operational things within the or with the franchise is going to go with Todd Bowles at the helm? Yeah, I think everybody's asking that question. What's different? What's different about Todd Bowles? And I think there are some small differences, but the vast majority of everything is going to be the same. And that's that's the big key here. I mean, you look at a lot of other teams, you know, the the Saints, yeah, they elevated their defensive coordinator, but they've got a lot of different folks on their coaching staff. And, and don't don't forget, Sean Payton was much more involved than Bruce Arians. Sean Payton was calling the plays, developing all the game plans. Yeah. It's almost status quo for the, for the Buccaneers. And that's, that's what wins in this league. Consistency, being able to come back year after year with the same guys, the same offense, the same coaches, the same coordinators. That is such a huge part of winning in the NFL because – details win yes and when you're when your team is in the process of, of tweaking details instead of learning entire processes I mean it's a huge difference that that's really I mean it's a reason that that Belichick and Brady were so successful for so long is that continuity and so I just I think the overwhelming answer to that question is not much it's it's consistency and that's what I think that's one of the reasons that Arians felt so comfortable handing it over to Todd Bowles I mean the situation nothing really changes I mean, you know, with the fact that your head coach drinks a lot, that your liquor tab will be less around one buck. Uh, <laughs> the cigar tab will be less. They'll save money in those areas. Uh, the press conferences might not be as candid and funny. Yeah. But that's, you know, actually Todd Bowles is finding his voice a little bit. He's just, yeah. he's like this very dry, sarcastic kind of guy. So he's got his own type of humor and I, I really, really like it. He's such a likable man. But to his players, he's very demanding. Yeah, uh, they love playing for Todd Bowles. Uh, the, I, I think they, the players are saying the practices are pretty much the same. So I mean, there's not a whole lot of change, and that should be what you know is, is the main narrative here as far as a coaching change is. There's not much change, and that's good. I will be interested to see how how Bowles handles the end game stuff, going for it on fourth yeah. down, yeah. that kind of stuff. Aaron's was very more very very aggressive in those areas. Peter Bowles got the well, was he? But you know, had the, that's not that's not entirely true. The risk it no biscuit uh, kind of goes for his style of offense. But in terms of going for it on fourth down and being aggressive in that time, he compared to some of the other coaches in his league, he really wasn't. And I'll be. I think the, the I think the main thing we'll see different between the styles of play is I think there's going to be a more emphasis on the run game I and the offense. Yeah, I think there. I think Todd, being a, a defensive coach, knows. One of the biggest things that an offense can do is is possess the football and keep his defense fresh yep. and off the field. So I don't think Brady is going to lead the league in attempts. I think there's going to be a much bigger emphasis on the run game, and and I think that'll help this team. I really do. I think it'll it'll keep the pressure off of Brady from getting hit as much instead of throwing it 45 times a game. You know, 35 is plenty. Yeah. Uh, so I think in terms of philosophy, now whether he goes for it more on fourth down, I. I don't know. I, and of course, Bruce will be there and have some input on that. I don't know if he'll have in-game input, but he might. But I think for the most part, the biggest difference you're going to see just in terms of coaching style is the run game. I agree. No, I agree with that. Um, all right, let's transition to Florida State. Your net, your 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 wheelhouse. You you were in that yeah. market a long, long time. Over the weekends, kind of didn't lay low in the news. You didn't hear a whole lot about it. Mike Martin Jr. The yeah. son of the legendary coach, Mike Martin, the baseball coach, was let go at Florida State. He followed his dad. He was there, I think, three years. 
just your I know you know Coach Martin, that's the dad, probably very yeah, well. I know both. Yeah. Yep. Just your thoughts on the decision that went into letting Mike Martin Jr. go. Yeah, you know, I've known both of them for so long back when I was working there in the late 80s and early 90s and kind of kept in touch with Coach Martin and, uh, you know, meet, as we like to call him, Junior. Um, you know, he, he took over and did a nice job recruiting and, and, you know, got him to number one in the nation, but he wasn't able to have a lot of postseason success. And that's, you know, that's how you're going to be judged in, in college baseball. Regular season, eh, it is what it is. It's how do you do in the postseason? And they did not do very well. And I think um, this new athletic director, uh, Alford, is putting his stamp on the program. This is going to be kind of his first uh, major hire, right. uh, so to speak. So, you know, I think he wants to do a national search and get a big name and bring somebody in. I'll be <laughs> so my, my Florida State brethren sometime are completely, you know, high in the sky, fanatical. And they're like, hey, maybe we can get Kevin Cash to come home. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that ain't happening. They're not coming home to- managing Dick Hauser Stadium. News. <laughs> so it's not going to be, but you know, there's Link Jarrett. Um, right. At uh, Notre Dame, who just knocked off Tennessee. Yeah. You know, would he, would he want to come back to FSU? Obviously, you know, a lot better players down here, although he's done a hell of a job at Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, there's Doug Mankiewicz's name has been thrown out a lot of ex Seminoles. So it'll be interesting where they go, but I think he's going to, I think he's looking for a big name, a familiar name, somebody that has a track record of success because um, it's going to be his first major hire. But I think, you know, I think it's, it's good. It, it signals that, you know, this maybe the nepotistic ways of Florida state or, right. or you know, something of the past and we're going to right. be a little bit more serious about making things happen. And like, you, and like we all, we well know it's always, you don't want to be the guy following the legend. You want right. to be the second guy following the right. legend. And maybe that's, Something that'll ho- open up the 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 cash register at Florida, and maybe they're willing yeah. to pay somebody to come in because it's going to be ex- baseball is getting expensive at the college level. Well, they need to. I tell you what, they need to do. They need to upgrade Dick Hauser Stadium. It was once the jewel of all yeah. college baseball, and has fallen yeah. very far behind as far as some of these other. So they need to. They put a lot of money into you know the the women's sports facilities, which is fantastic. It's great. Uh, but they need to start paying attention to some of the other uh, that the bring the some of the revenue sports that bring the, the money in. No, you're right. All right. Last thing I'll get you out of here. Last week, I saw you hosted the Sports Club Bank yes. here in Tampa. Yes. Your buddy and my buddy, Brad Johnson, inducted Gail yes. Searins and some others. Just talk about the again. I know, you know, Brad pretty well. And I know Gene Deckerhoff was there. Just talk about yep. that honor of doing that event. And my father was in the sports club for many, many years. So just talk about that event a little bit and those guys. That yeah, that was uh, that was a great privilege of mine. One of the highlights of my career, uh, frankly, because um, you know I've been able to do the sports club banquet a couple of years, three three years now. But that was this was one where I really knew almost everybody going in on a personal level. Uh, Jose Fernandez at USF yeah. done a phenomenal job with the women's program. They're a great dude, and of course Brad Johnson. I've known you know since I was whooping his ass at racquetball when he was in school many years ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, and he's just a bad, best, big, bad Brad. Is, he is, is he's awesome. You're not following him on Instagram, by the way, the trick shot artist, big, yes. bad Brad, you're missing out. Yes. So it was fun to be able to welcome him to the stage and my co-anchor Gail Searins for many years yep. uh, to welcome her to the stage. Uh, Darren Poopa, who I see all the time at the lightning games was, uh, was inducted as well. Um, am I forgetting anybody? I hope not. Um, what a night. And, and just the Glazer family as well was recognized as a lifetime achievement award. 
very, very special night for myself. Oh, and Monty Kiffin, the great Monty yes. Kiffin. Was, he went out and did the Tampa 2 cheer. And, <laughs> oh, gosh, he was just one of a kind. What a night that was, man. It was fantastic. Cool. That's awesome. All right, get you out of here. Tell everybody where they can find you online and social media platforms. Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at FanStreamJP. FanStreamSports.com is our website or the JPPetersonShow.com. You can go there, same landing page. We're on 10 to 12 every uh, Monday through Friday. We live stream it on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So please subscribe. Also subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Spotify. And we do have our own app, our own app, FanStream Sports, all one word. Download it and just tap the app. The the show will come up anytime. We do two hours of Tampa Bay Centric every day. We have the biggest guests, two hours of local sports talk, and uh, no – very few commercials, no eight-minute stops like our friends on the radio. Two, three-minute commercials, and we're we're good to go. So and check it have, out. Yeah, and if you're in, if you're anywhere in and around Amelie Arena, you'll see JP yes. hyping up the crowd between periods and pre pregame and all that stuff. He does this great job with uh, the the lightning uh, the lightning hockey night live there in Amelie, and go win a third ring, my brother. You got it, brother. Always fun to be on with you, Jason. Great show, man. Really appreciate it. Do a great, great. job. Up next on the Powers on Sports podcast is Vince Ferrara, radio host, 99.1, the sports animal, Knoxville, Tennessee, play-by-play guy for Tennessee baseball. We're going to break down the college baseball regionals, the colossal upset of Tennessee baseball versus Notre Dame over the weekend. We're going to give you a college World Series preview, and we're going to give you some news and notes heading into college football summertime in the SEC. We'll be right back. We'll be back to the Powers on Sports podcast in just a moment. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. Folks, interest rates are rising. They are on the rise due to some inflationary issues, world events and such. So if you are in the market for a home, looking to buy, looking to uh, invest in an investment property, second home purchase, beach home, vacation type home, now is the time to get your rate locked in. Reach out to me at Titan Home Lending. Anywhere in the state of Florida, I can help you. So if you're looking for a place in Key West, in Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, Pensacola, anywhere in between, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Let's get you pre-approved for your home purchase. Also, if you'd like to refinance your home, if your interest rate is in the fives or sixes or high fours, now might be a great time to look at your options of whether to refinance would be beneficial to you financially. So again, reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. Feel free to call or text me anytime. I'd love the opportunity to help you anywhere in the state of Florida. Now back to the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome back to the Power Sun Sports Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed J.P. Peterson and I breaking down the avalanche and the lightning as the bolts go for a three-peat, a historic three-peat. We go from the jubilation and joy of a, of a possibility of a three-peat to the absolute blues of a disastrous monumental upset that happened in Knoxville, Tennessee over the weekend. As you know, Knoxville is a city of orange, and we're going to talk, unfortunately, about the Blues, the Fighting Irish go into Knoxville over the weekend and stun the number one rated Tennessee Volunteers, the consensus number one team in the country in the baseball uh, Super Regionals. 
Notre Dame advances to the College Baseball World Series and the number one rated team by all accounts, the Tennessee Volunteers go home and no better person to talk Tennessee baseball, college baseball and such than my man Vince Ferrara, 99.1, the sports animal out of Knoxville. He's the play-by-play guy for Tennessee baseball as well. Welcome to the podcast, Vince, on these gloomy, gloomy weeks. <laughs> hey, you know what? Thank goodness for the Tampa Bay Lightning. At least my hockey team has a chance to three-peat. So we got that in common. Man. But, yeah, it, it was stunning. And, obviously, the way it went down and how quickly it went from Tennessee being up 3-1 with an out in the seven to within just a few minutes of real time, right. they were down 4-3. And then it, it Tennessee went, went quickly down in the seventh and then – Notre Dame added three more, and it was before you knew it, it was over. And there went thinking about Omaha to season over, which we tried to kind of we cr- tried to kind of prepare people for. Not that they would lose, but that how fine a line college baseball is, and how the best team doesn't usually win the best team on paper. And Tennessee was the best team by a long shot over everybody else, more so than we've seen in a long time. Let's, well, let's get into some of those numbers. Tennessee finishes 57 and nine. First of all, I think it's like the second or third team ever to win that many games and not go to the college world series. They were 25 and five in the sec. They won the Eastern division by six games or by 10 games. Right. And won the entire SEC by six games, which Both records. overall yeah. records, which was a historic record in, again, in the best baseball conference in the country by yeah. far. Just uh, talk about some of the historic numbers that Tennessee came into, the, into this regional with. Well, and then uh, the, those numbers leading the nation in home runs, they ended with 158. And not only that, but leading the nation in ERA. Yeah. So people would point to a ballpark and say, oh, they're just playing in a high school stadium and and the ball flies out. So that's why they have all those home runs. Okay, well, then why'd they lead the nation in ERA? Because they right. had to pitch there too. Right. Uh, so, so that was a bunch of nonsense. And look, they accomplished so many things. You know, the hottest start in SEC history and winning the East in back-to-back years for the first time in forever. Winning the outright uh, SEC since the, the mid-90s, winning the SEC tournament in its current format for the first time ever. They accomplished so many things, and there's a million more uh, with individual honors and, and all that. Check so many boxes. Let's let's get into let's go game by game. That there's some drama that was building up in this whole in this whole series. And right. then we'll obviously we'll get you we'll, we'll get Vince to do a little preview of the College World Series. There's four SEC teams. Oklahoma and Texas, who are about to be in the SEC, are also right. a part of that. So we'll get into all that. All right, let's go to game one Friday night. You're there. You're doing the, you're doing the radio. Let's talk about the ejection, the controversial ejection. You tell me, what was it, the fifth or sixth inning, something like that? Fifth, yeah. Okay, so we have a controversial ball strike call. Tennessee kid says something to the umpire. The umpire ejects Drew Gilbert, and then he ejects the pitching coach, Frank Anderson, take it from there. Give me a little, a little insight, a little context. 
Well, it was an 0-1 count. I mean, to our eyes, the 0-1 pitch was uh, clearly – no, actually, I'm sorry. It was a 1-0 count. The 1-0 pitch was clearly low. Should have been 2-0. Hitter's advantage. And, and Drew Gilbert's been their leading hitter all season in average and uh, and just a lot more mature of a hitter as a junior and potential first-round pick. So pitch looks really low and he erupts and turns around. And uh, I mean, I, I said something, I was doing play by play. I do the middle innings, John Wilkerson, longtime voice, Tennessee baseball does the, the first three, last three. I do the middle innings. So I was on the call and the way he wheeled and spun and kind of yeah. took a step towards the umpire. I was like, whoa, that is, that's kind of more than what you normally see. Right. Um, and I, and I think the language was there too, with the professional lip readers that have been out there. <laughs> so I, I think, I think, I think it was not only the first kind of turn towards and the, the, the language, but then sort of another uh, potential F-bomb. Uh, I think that's what got him, got him tossed. I'll admit on the call, I thought, man, you would love to see the umpire give him some rope at that time, maybe warn him and, and warn the, the bench or whatever. Right. But come to find out later, he had been warned from okay. his previous at bat by the crew chief. So then it's understandable that you're on thin ice as it is. He was apologetic when you got, he was warned the first time, but then you do it again. And right the NCAA umpires are not going to put up as much as the regular season umpire crew will in the SEC. Especially, so, especially the crew was probably not an SEC crew. They probably weren't super familiar with Drew Gilbert's mannerisms, things like that, that probably plays into it. 100%. They were an all West coast crew. They were big West and Pac 12 umpire crews. Right. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And then, so Frank Anderson comes out. And it didn't take him long. And usually it, and a lot of times his language isn't always, you know, really clean. It's a little salty. Right. Tor, he's a veteran, obviously elite pitching coach, probably the best in the country, but uh, he, he got tossed really quick. And then you're like, Whoa, Tony, Tony Vitello head coach Tennessee better be careful here and not get tossed as well. Cause then it's an even bigger mess. Now, the, the assistant coaches, it's an automatic one-game suspension. But Frank Anderson had been tossed once before this year. So it was three games because it's tiered. So now you've lost your pitching coach for that Friday game, then Saturday, a potential Sunday, and then in the Omaha if you get there. Right. And they've lost him before. So um, And in college baseball, correct me if I'm wrong, the pitching coach calls a lot of the pitches. Yes. As he opposed does. to the major leagues where the catcher does it, the, the most of the calls are from the bench, i.e. the pitching coach. 100%. And they have a little radio and they, you know, ear, earpiece on the catcher. Yep. You have a veteran catcher. I think Evan Russell probably could. But, but the point is, is that you're not, you're not in the normal best right. case scenario that you would be. Their assistant coach and recruiting coordinator, Josh Elander, who I think, could very well get hired and run his own program some point in the, in the off season. He's a former catcher. So he took the role of calling the pitches. So he he's done it before. And he's actually run the team when Tony Vitello was ejected for the, for the chest bump. 
but early not in that season. kind of pressurized situation. Right. You, you know, it's not ideal. It's not what you want in that situation. And so that kind of threw everything off. So that's what, what happened there. Now it's a one, one count and you have to go to the bench. And, you know, even though Tennessee did get the, the offense going uh, a little bit more after that, they had just given up. They had just fallen deep behind in that game. You know, they were down eight, one, eight to two at that time. So it made it more difficult. Do you think the, the blow up by Gilbert and the, obviously the pitching coach is because of the shock and all of, Oh my God, we're getting our butts kicked in game one here. If the game is a tie game or Tennessee's winning, that probably doesn't happen with Gilbert and Anderson. It could be, it, it could very well be. I mean, Tony Vitello at times without specifically saying his team felt pressure said at times, you know, kind of, you know, the moment kind of, you know, pops up. I, I think it could have very well been a residual. That was Tennessee's biggest deficit of the year. Right. It, prior to that, five runs was their biggest margin. And that's in a game three after you've won the first two against Georgia right. like, in the final score. So that's uncharted territory for them. So sure, that that could have very well. But but he's an emotional guy. We just hadn't seen it taken to that level right. of a Expression in and at bat where he's usually pretty locked in. So Tennessee loses game one. They come back and win game two. So now you're Sunday, do or die, winner take all situation. Do you think the pressure of Tennessee not really having that kind of pressure on them all year kind of came to roost a little bit later? Obviously, they had a, we'll talk about the, the Sunday game a little bit, but the, the emotion and the pressure of Oh my God, we're the number one seed. Everybody expects us to win this game. Do you think that had any any residual effects going into Sunday? I don't, Jason, because of the way they handled themselves so well in game two. Right. You know, they, they came out with, to use Tony Vitello's term, determination, and they took care of business. And, and look, it helps if when you get a great start, like they did from the SEC Pitcher of the Year and Chase Dolander, who had a rough start against Campbell in the regional prior to, but he bounce right back and was terrific so that helps your defense it helps your offense it helps your spirit when your starter is that good so I don't think that carried over uh, okay. because they handled that elimination game well on Saturday so we get to Sunday they get out early home run early they're up three to one going to the seventh inning 49 and 0 on the year after leading after six innings I mean, I'm sure you're up in the booth thinking it's lights out. They probably have their pitching set up for the late innings to do what they right. want to do. The guys they want pitching. Just tell us the, 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 how, how, like you said, in real time, within what, a four or five minutes span, it goes from three to one to four to three on back-to-back -back home runs. Talk to me about the, the, the stunning turn of events in that stadium. Yeah, Jason, well, set it up. Look, he, uh, Chase Burns, a starter, was, was terrific through seven through six innings and he hadn't been that good in a minute because you know they had kind of took him taken him to the bullpen a little bit give him a little rest uh and he's been so good in relief roles they hadn't really brought him back as a starter for a minute he hadn't been stretched in terms of pitches in a while he hadn't gone that deep in innings pitched since the first half of sec play yeah so I actually said something very early in the inning when they, when they I wasn't 100% sure they would bring him back out. And, and not because they didn't trust him or believe in him, 
because they have so many options and so many arms that were ready to go. It was all hands on deck anyway. Yeah. So uh, they got so many options. And because Tennessee has not been stretching their starters, they've actually, because of the options in the bullpen, they haven't allowed guys to stay in the game too long. They've actually pulled the plug a little bit early uh, because they have so many options. So I, you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't shocked that they brought Burns, but, but I, you, that's when you think about it. Short leash. Start the short leash. Definitely a short leash. But here's the other thing. Starts the inning with a strikeout looking. He's now retired nine in a row yeah. and looking great. And so, so then you're like, all right, Tony knows what he's doing. He's still mowing people down. Then he gives up a double. Um, and then at that point, and I had said this prior to, I said it early in the inning, I don't know on the air during on the ball network, I don't know how long this leash is going to be for Burns, not because he hasn't been great because of what I just laid out to you. The arms ready in the bullpen. Yeah. And he had a, he had a, a Cam and Sewell, Kirby kind of two reliable or veteran arms ready to go. And there's others you could have gone to Joyce throws 105.5 you could have gone to Drew Beam who's been a weekend started lots of keep going on and on so so then he gives up the double then he gets a pop a quick pop-up after that for out number two now you're seven outs away from Omaha and he got that that second out and and look and that second out was key because that was Jack Brannigan who this coaching staff felt like was their best hitter Right. And you just got your best hitter out. He wanted Burns in for that guy at the very least. But because he got him out quickly and it's out number two, he felt like that was the biggest hurdle and he left him in. Has a strikeout ability as well yeah. with a runner in scoring position. And then he gives up the opposite field homer to the short part of the of the park. Uh into the bullpen with a shorter wall and two run homer, bam, three, three game. So then that's really the point where I thought. Got to get them. I I would be surprised if they don't go get them and they didn't. Wow. And so then you give up the solo home run after that, it's four, three. And again, like you kind of alluded to, we're only talking a couple of minutes of real time from the double to the quick pop-up to the two run homer. And then the solo home run. Here's another thing Tony Vitello kind of pointed to. In the at-bat of the solo home run when it's 3-3, guy cranked a foul ball more than home run distance just before that. So that Tony felt like, hey, at the very least, I should have gone to get him then. And he's made- you see these college guys, you've seen in these regionals, they'll make pitching changes mid-count. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what I was going to say is, He's done that a ton. A lot of his pitching changes have been mid-at-bat. You see it in college, absolutely. And, and Tony Vitello himself has done that a bunch. So he didn't. And then the guy squares it up, hits it over the park, uh, over the wall, and it's 4-3 just like that. And um, do you and think that goes back the- to Frank Anderson not being there? You're, you're all over it, Jason, because that's what I was going to bring up. I don't know 100%. One – if Frank would have felt the same way as Tony to let him go, or if he would have said to go get him earlier. For all we know, Frank may have said, six innings, you're done. Come out, right. Or any point after that, he could have said that. 
but the pitching decisions ultimately are Tony Vitello. So maybe Frank says, yeah, go get him. And Tony's like, I, I, I love you. I trust you. I think I got, I think we got to leave him here. He got over the hump. He'll get this gotcha. last out. So there's no guarantee of any of that, but I think it's a fair question. Absolutely. Tony Vitello kind of downplayed, you know, what Frank's role would, would have been in that situation. I think that's just to kind of, you know, calm the, the talk about it. He put it on himself. He didn't want to put it because if you allude that Frank Anderson may have suggested otherwise, then you're then then now you're putting more pressure on Frank Anderson that he got ejected. Right. right? Tony was right. trying because he doesn't throw his guys under the bus. Right. And so people talk about, you know, Tony with the with the bump and the you know, the umpire and the way that the guys flip the bat and stuff like that. Um I think that's way overblown. And I, I think it gives a false image of what he's about and what the guys actually are about in terms of character and, and everything like that. But that's a different story. But, um, you know, and then after that, it quickly got away from him. Three, you went, you went down quietly in the, in the seventh offensively. Yeah. And then they put three runs up on you quickly again. Now it's seven, three. Oh. Um, it, it was stunning how quickly it happened. All right, to wrap it up, what's the sentiment in Knoxville? Obviously, do they think failure, bad luck, a little bit of both? What's kind of what's the pop the sentiment of the community? Yeah, well, failure, you can you can flush that from Tennessee fans. <laughs> I know everybody else, all the rival SEC schools, and even people that aren't rivals that just didn't like the way Tennessee carried themselves this yeah, year, yeah. how you know brash they were and, and all yeah. that which I think is over overblown. I think the fans kind of contributed, added fuel to that fire because the fans loved being the villains. Oh, the team yeah. loved being the villain. Even though they're deep down, they weren't villain guys. Yeah. They kind of embraced it. And I'll say this real quick. And I'll answer your question. This Tennessee baseball team, Jason, helped college baseball's growth and popularity more than any team in the BB Court era. I, I don't think you can find anyone else that drew more attention. College baseball getting on ESPN, on SportsCenter. Right. And, and, and the three games of this regional were the three highest rated out of any were the, those three games. So they brought a lot of eyes to the sport, regardless of what you thought of, about them. But I, I think failure is what everybody else is saying to make Tennessee fans mad. The reality is is it's disappointing, no doubt about it. Right. But as Tony Vitello told the team afterwards, out on the field and right, you do not let this impact how you reflect on this season. They did so many amazing things. We ran through the records and the stats and all that. Um, and not only that, but their mark on the future of this program right. in helping them in recruiting during the year in being in the history books and, and being able to use this season to help them in recruiting in the future. People want to be a part of the program. Now they got a commitment from a, a high draft pick, Kansas shortstop, Mayona that is, is, is coming in the transfer portal. And I bet there'll be a lot of guys that want to go be a part of this at Tennessee in the future, but not because of how they carried themselves, but the key, that's not what makes made them successful, Jason. It's the fact that Tony Vitello lets them be themselves. 
maybe guys in the future don't have Drew Gilbert's personality or Jordan Beck or, or right. any, any of the other guys. Maybe their being themselves is different and, and it won't be, it won't rub people the wrong way. The key is letting them be themselves if they earn it. They earn it in the classroom, they earn it in the weight room, they earn it in the off season, everything else. That's the key, not the way they flip bats and all that kind of stuff that everyone uh, you know, makes a, a lot of. But um, people are handling it different ways. Some are coping with it by getting back at the Arkansas fans that are that are <laughs> and and look, you gotta suck it up. Tennessee fans have been bragging all year. Yeah. And they should because it hasn't, it's been so dominant and it hasn't been this way forever. So I get it, but um, some are just kind of in the hole and they don't want to, they just don't want to <laughs> see that it's reality. Others are, are panicked and, and, you know, are like, why is this, why we can't be this bad, you know, all this kind of choke and, you know, basketball and bringing it that they're looking at things from a totality, you know, we're cursed and, right. you know, it, it, the, all the umpires were, were Catholic. That's why they threw out Drew Gilbert and, Peyton Manning was there Friday, so they lost. So, so then you start getting all this crazy <laughs> talk, and 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 so, but that's that's more of all Twitter. That's fandom. That's so, fandom. Yeah, that's a small percentage of it. I think a big portion of the fan base, the people that were there supporting the team, I think Jason, they look at it as, hey man, I didn't see this coming. Right. But boy, I love Tony Vitello. I love this team. It was memorable. And we'll be back next year and get after it. I think most fans look at it that way. I, I agree. I agree. All right, let's let's get to Omaha. Okay. You you've had the pleasure of going to Omaha covering Tennessee. Give the fan, the average fan who maybe isn't a huge college baseball guy, a description of what an event it is in Omaha. The whole the eight or nine days of what that whole tournament is, how that city embraces this tournament. They built a beautiful stadium yeah. just for this event. Give give the fans a little overview of that whole college world series. Well, man, I was so anxious to come jump on the call with you. I left my coffee mug, my College World Series coffee mug. I was going to show <laughs> off uh, in the kitchen, so I can't go grab it. But um, it, you know, that's what you do. You get memorabilia when you're there. Yeah. You go to the famous steakhouse Drovers. Uh, we tried the whole time, and it was like two, three hour wait. Yeah. We finally got reservations, and then Tennessee lost. And we're eliminated and we had to cancel our reservations, which were when we were flying out. So we <laughs> get to go to this place that everyone was talking about. Um, you know, you walk from the hotel to the stadium and you see all the fan bases. Um, they have all the flags around the stadium. You have statues for memorable moments. Um, there, there's the locals that give you history of what, uh, what the past experiences have been like. There was Rosenblatt. Now there's TD Ameritrade, which has now changed its name to Charles Schwab something. Um, but I, I'll tell you what, that stadium is so cool for fans. You can walk the concourse 360 all the way around. Wow. And the seats, I did this before Tennessee started playing. They were playing the second day. And so I went to some games the first day and just filled in empty seats. Awesome view everywhere. And Oh, imagine this. There's actually room like in those seats. They're actually a little bit more spacious than the normal. Mm -hmm. You have some more leg room. They're all chair backs. You have the, the drink holders everywhere. They're, they're, it's, it's the amenities that so many ballparks should have now. They should cut out seats and make it a better fan experience. 
they did it right in that stadium. So that just adds to it. Uh, everything is just so cool to see all the fan bases be a part of it. So really awesome. And, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll what is it about 25, 30,000, 25, 30,000. Uh, I think it's some, yeah, it's in the 20 to 25 range. Okay. I, I don't recall, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's got yeah. everything you want. It's awesome. All right, let's get to the action on the field Four SEC teams, not named Tennessee make it, which is crazy. Arkansas, yeah. Auburn, Ole Miss, and AM make it. Two more teams that are going to be in the SEC, Oklahoma and <laughs> Texas. So you basically have six out of eight SEC teams, Stanford and Notre Dame. Give the give the audience a little overview, especially the SEC teams, the four that are that are, that are in it. Yeah, you laid it out, Jason. And the one team that was supposed to be there <laughs> right. is not. You could have had seven of the eight, either current or future SEC teams. That makes it even – I think it stings even more. Yeah. And all these fan bases are have let Tennessee know about it, which <laughs> is harder for, for the fans. But you know what? Some of the fans are like, hey, the, the fact that everybody hates us means we're relevant again. And That's we'll right. Take, That's a win. That's um, right. I, I think the right side, obviously, is heavy with the SEC teams. You had an all-SEC matchup between Ole Miss and Auburn. Tennessee five and one combined against those two teams during the regular season, but it doesn't matter because they're there, not Tennessee. Ole Miss, one of the last teams in the tournament, uh, they were number one in one poll when Tennessee went to Oxford and swept them. Early and, in the year, yep. Yeah, and late in the year, they had the same record as Missouri, one of the worst teams in the league. <laughs> and 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 I thought, just like others, that some other teams maybe deserved to be in there before them. They got hot late in the year. Then they got swept last week in the regular season. They didn't do anything really in, in Hoover. And actually a number of teams didn't do much in their conference tournaments and then are here. So yeah. that sparks another conversation because fans were like, hey, we need to rest our starters in Hoover. Tennessee did not. They won't, ended up playing four days and waited around and they won the thing. That's history. But for some fans are like, that took away from us because we played yeah. all those games. You know, I'm not, that's not the way I feel, but I know that's another kind of narrative that's out there. Of, so of, the, Miss, of, of the four teams that are at Arkansas, Auburn, Ole Miss, and AM, which is the one or two teams that you really think can make do some serious damage? I think AM because they've been the most consistent, the longest. I want to say they won uh, seven or eight straight SEC series. Uh, they, they got to the semifinals in the, uh, in the conference tournament. And so um, I, I think they're the ones that are maybe the most complete that's there, but it's honestly, it's been such a crazy tournament so far, Jason, it scares me that they haven't lost yet. Yeah. Them and, and, and Ole Miss in uh, Texas, uh, Texas lost. Um, who is it? Notre Dame is the other one that hasn't lost. Right. That's there. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that someone's going to roll through and not lose at least a game or maybe two. And then how do they handle losing? Some of these other teams have already had their backs up against the wall and, and, and handled that pressure. How do you handle it if you're doing it for the first time, do or die season on the line? So I, I would say it's AM, but all of these teams are there, especially the three on the right side of the bracket, Arkansas, Miss, and Auburn, because they're playing their best ball now and they're pitching their best. Tennessee was not pitching its best. It wasn't playing its best defense. Um, and, and so you have to play your best baseball this time of year. Those three have figured it out. So 
it looks like AM, but man, the kind of the mojo that the other teams have, uh, you, you can't discount did, that either. Did Tennessee play Oklahoma, Texas, or Stanford at all during the regular season? Yes. Uh, Tennessee played two of the three, Texas and Oklahoma. They played them in a non-conference tournament in, in Houston. They played yeah. Texas, Oklahoma, and Baylor. They beat Oklahoma. They lost to Texas, who Texas was the team that eliminated Tennessee from the NCAA tournament from the from Omaha in the College World Series last year. <laughs> so for a while, the only the like the two last two losses they had were to Texas. Right. So and guess who they would have played had mm-hmm. they advanced and not Notre Dame? Texas. <laughs> so it's just so it's so crazy. So no, and then Notre Dame obviously they took two of three, but they didn't play them in the regular season. Didn't play yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stanford. They didn't play Arkansas or A and M either so that two of the better teams in tennessee uh did not play them in the regular season but um if if you want to pick for me jason overall um we were kind of debating this a little bit on on our afternoon show sports talk on on the sports animal today when i was asked about it i would have to probably go with texas but i don't feel great about it yeah you know melendez is just such a horse with his over 30 home runs on the year. Um, they're so explosive offensively. I, I think I, I would, they can still pitch to some. That uh, tournament tends to be in a tr- war of attrition with the pitching. Offense tends to take over later in the tournament at the further end of that tournament you go, correct? That, that's true. But here's the thing. I think conference tournaments are harder on pitching staff than, than the College World Series because there's the day in between. Okay. So that extra rest allows you, if you have to close out a game, like Notre Dame, they closed out both of Tennessee's wins with Jack Finley, a a freshman All-American. In fact, he closed out their two regional games, closed out game one against Tennessee, closed out game three against Tennessee, where he got the win, not the save. And those are the only saves he had all year. Wow! Um, But you could bring them back because you got that day in between. It allows you to do that in the early part of, of Omaha because of the day in between. So I, I don't think it's quite as bad. Um, so, yeah, I, I I would probably lean towards Texas, but I don't feel great. I think this is as wide open as I can ever remember. But I, I've mentioned this stat before, and it replies to Tennessee. The number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament in its current format has only won the College World Series once, wow. 1999. I was trotting that out this year just to kind of let people know that look, <laughs> it, it gets real and it can come to an end quickly in the parity and the depth of quality teams here. Uh, you, there's it's razor's edge. The difference between all of these teams have gotten there in different ways, but it is absolutely wide open, which certainly adds to the fun hot take for you too. I'll give you exclusive here. Cause I haven't said it on the station hot take college world series more or college baseball NCAA tournament more fun to watch than the NBA playoffs. I agree and with I that. Love the NBA playoffs. I agree with that. No, you're 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 right on because there's so much drama in these yeah. in these late inning in the last two and a half three innings of these games. So many pitching changes, so much offense. You're right. It's 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 an college baseball has really elevated the last five ten years as far right. as watchability by the fans on right. TV. You no know. question. All right, let me get you out of here. One more thing. College football. Yep. Anything in the next month and a half, two months before you get to media day, 
as far as anything percolating on the college football front, just whether it's SEC related or NIL related stuff that you're hearing about? Well, certainly with the SEC spring meetings that just wrapped up, the conference decided to do away with divisions. So that's okay. going to happen when Oklahoma and Texas come into the league. They didn't come out of that with a definitive vote on the format of how they're going to do that. So that's something else that will be hanging out there that will be addressed. Uh, I don't think there'll be clarity on it before football media days if they're in, in Atlanta this year, by the way, in okay. the middle of July. If there is, then everybody's going to get asked about it. But uh, I, they have some time. I would be surprised if they reconvene or anything like that. So I think that what they're going to the, – the emphasis of Greg Sankey is we want these teams to – play everybody home and home so the college experience includes everybody in the league in a four-year period correct not in a six-year or right now it's freaking 20 it seems like for some of these teams before right. you get to a venue ridiculous so um i, I do think that that's a, a very much a positive and then if you do permanent opponents just a matter of debating who for every team uh, I think that will be part of it. And NIL will, will be a huge talking point at media days. Uh, and look, Tennessee is front and center with Nico Iamaliava, the five-star from California. In California, you can get NIL deals. So the, the whole Jimbo, Saban, and Tennessee is kind of connected to that because, you know, NIL deal, even though it's not official with him, that that's the reason why you went to Tennessee. <laughs> Everyone speculates that and has written stories about it. Sure. Um, so that in Tennessee is really hot right now. That kid is helping them recruit four and five stars at a big recruiting weekend. So it, that stuff matters right now. The NCAA is trying to rein all that in. Sure. Good luck with that. Uh, so those will be some of the biggest talking points. I can't wait to talk ball as opposed to that stuff, because guess what we've been talking about all offseason is that stuff as opposed to rosters. You know, the transfer portal, certainly that that yep. make that impacts the team. But um, and of course, really where is Arch Manning going? Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and he's not going to Tennessee. But yeah, whether it's Georgia or Alabama or Texas, um, absolutely. That'll and. I think these kids want to make those decisions, Jason, before their senior seasons. That's much more of a trend. And, hey, I don't want this lingering uh, during, oh, by the way, it's harder now for those coaches to be able to get get away during the season. Yep. And then with the early signing period, you want to make those decisions earlier anyway. With quarterbacks, you they do it typically earlier than anywhere else. So, um, yeah, I, I, just, I just want to get the ball. I want to pick up my – my preseason magazines, which will, of course, will be wrong because like 10 other people will transfer and, That's and right. it'll be different. But hey, it's still fun, you know? I got you, man. All right, great work, Vince. Keep up the great work. You got about a month of a little downtime till, till the media days and all that hit. Rest, relax. I know you love your dog. You got all the stuff going on. I see you at the gym, all yep. these gym pictures for you, man. You're looking good. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find John Line on social media. Appreciate it. I'm coming to Tampa. You meet TJ Reeves. We're, uh, we're doing lunch, all right? Let's do it. All right. Probably before media days, but we'll get it done. You can follow me on Twitter at Vince Sports, V I N C E Sports. Uh, our station, 991, the, the Sports Animal, home to the Vol Network, flagship Tennessee football. We actually had 
uh, a record number of affiliates regular season and postseason for Tennessee baseball. So wow. just so cool. Uh, so many people listening to us, a former player, dad, listen to us from Australia. Awesome, uh, so great. that kind of stuff is just is so neat. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, 991, the sports you can see it in the background there on, on the zoom. And, you know, I have a blog there and just so much content on UT balls in the NFL, that kind of fun stuff. And then Vince sports works for my YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, all, all that fun stuff. So I appreciate you. Let me plug it. Yeah, man. Keep up the great work, man. Like I said, Vince does a great job. He does high school football in the fall, play-by-play yeah. -play stuff, a lot of Tennessee stuff throughout the year, man. Keep up the great work and definitely check him out on uh, on the Twitter Twitter feed and the, and the 99.1 sports platform, man. Have a great summer, man. We'll see you soon. Me, you, and TJ for yeah. lunch. My treat. Oh, appreciate you. You're the man. Thanks, Jason. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.